PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, where board sitting now is more enjoyable. My name is Blake Briggs. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Chase Countryman. Hey there, Blake. Glad to be here. For each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You're going to hear more about Chase in a minute and how he's an all-star. Uh, <laughs> but for now, please set up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes to test your knowledge on topics. You can go to our website at emboardbombs.com. Again, that's emboardbombs.com. You can also sign up right now on our Twitter. Our handle is at emboardbombs. We're also on Instagram at emboardbombs. So let's get to it. Uh, Chase here is an awesome dude. Um, He is on our staff here with Ian Board Bombs, and he is our basically webmaster. We call him Neo, actually. I love it. Yeah, just basically the Matrix master. Uh, We really appreciate all the hard work he does. Um, He is really responsible for our new website layout, our big merger we've done recently to SoundCloud for really just a better podcasting experience for all of our listeners. And I uh, really appreciate all the hard work you put into this, man. It's, so It's my pleasure to be here. I just hope we get more people subscribing online, going yeah. over to emboardbombs.com and joining us. Always pitching. I love it. Always pitching. Uh, Chase Countryman actually is a uh, fourth-year med student. Um, he is in medical school at Wake Forest School of Medicine, and he is currently applying for positions for residency. So uh, if you haven't interviewed the guy yet, he's a hot commodity, so keep your eye out. Please hire me. Yeah, please. <laughs> Sound just like Marlena. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Chase, you ready for the topic? I'm ready for it. All right. So we got an interesting one today. Let's yeah, hit. Let's do. get to it here. You are moonlighting in the late fall at a rural urgent care when a mother presents with her seven-year-old son with fever and headache. The child appears well overall with normal vitals. The mother recently read online about Lyme disease and therefore applied Lyme juice to the child's calves each night. Makes she, sense. Of course, of course. Uh, she read it in an alternative health magazine called vaccinesuck.com <laughs> she wishes for a diagnosis but also wishes no medications be given because she does not trust western medicine and attempted garlic and tree bark infused tea to ward off infections at home on exam there's a maculopapular rash on the bilateral lower legs which of the following is true of this condition a rash is often present on initial presentation b lymphocytosis is a common lab abnormality c Amoxicillin is effective as doxycycline in eradicating this infection. D, history of an insect bite is rare in patients. So what do you think the right answer is, Dr. Briggs? This is a tricky question. Uh, also because we're involving a lot of Lyme stuff in here. We did a Lyme podcast, you know, months ago. Right, right. Now it's just a big flashback. Really to test if you know the difference between Lyme and Rocky Mountain. Of course. Correct answer is going to be D, history of insect bites is rare in patients overall. Um, so we're talking about Rocky Mountain today. Rocky Mountain spotted fever. It's season. It's tis the season. Well, the season's ending, actually. We just Late fall, early season. Yeah, I after. survived another year, so that's good. <laughs> I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. <laughs> Why don't you tell us more about the, the bugs and kind of what we're dealing with here, That sounds Chase. perfect. So yeah. Rocky Mountain spotted fever, going back to our early days of medical school, it comes from Rickettsia rickettsii. Uh, it's a gram-negative intracellular bacterium, uh, and it mostly damages our cells via direct vascular injury. So Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is uh, most common uh, inside of the, you know, usually the Central American countries, but we see a lot of it in the southwestern United States as well as over here in the southeastern United States as well. 
And that's mostly because of the vector that it's carried on, which would be the uh, different ticks. Uh, in the east, it's carried on the dermacenter virabilis, also known as the dog tick for us uh, non-pathologists. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> and also it's carried in the west, it's usually carried by the dermacentor andersoni or the Rocky Mountain wood tick. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, actually, really, uh, it is interesting because, you know, when we're thinking uh, in the United States, everybody comes in just like this female in the stem thinking it's Lyme disease. Everybody talks Absolutely. about Lyme disease all the time. And Lyme disease is extremely common in right. the Northeast. Yeah. And I was talking to a doctor at ASAP who all they see is Lyme disease. And they're literally just, we're just joking with each other because I rarely see Lyme disease. Right. And where we're at here in North Carolina, we see Rocky Mountain spotted fever. All and we'll definitely see at least a few cases each month in the summer Absolutely. and late fall. Uh, I just had one last week. Yeah. Um, so clinical course here. This is going to be where the meat of kind of, you know, the question is, I think, in a lot of question stems. Um, the infected patients will come in. They'll come in symptomatic about, you know, 2 to 14 days after being bitten. The mean average is about 7 days. So usually it's about a week after being bitten from this tick and getting this infection. And in the early phases of the illness, most patients have, as you guessed it, like nonspecific signs and mm -hmm. symptoms, just like Lyme disease. So, so far, same thing. About seven days after Lyme exposure, you know, five to seven days, you'll get um, the typical nonspecific signs. However, Rocky Mountain, what's different is what? Fever. Lyme disease fever. typically doesn't have fever early fever. on. So remember just to flash back to Lyme disease, it is just the classic um, rash, the target Absolutely. rash, right? The erythema migraines, right? right? Yeah. And that's it. And right. otherwise they may have URI symptoms and that's it. Right. Maybe nothing. It's a little bit opposite here. Mm -hmm. They're going to come in with nonspecific signs and symptoms first. Classically, it's going to be a fever, a nonspecific like tension, headache or something, uh, malaise, myalgias, arthralgias, things that don't really help you, and uh, they're nonspecific. Absolutely. And then possibly conjunctivitis too, which is a sneaky little a wrinkle that can be snuck in there. But but Blake, this disease is called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. They're That's all right. going to have this rash as soon as I see them in the emergency department. Unfortunately, <laughs> makes it nice and difficult for you. Unfortunately, choice A, that's why it's wrong. Rash is often not present on the initial presentation. Again, unlike Lyme disease. Now, the rash here is going to be fairly uh, uh, classic once you see it. It occurs in 90% of patients, thankfully, and uncommon in the initial presentation. In fact, like 14% of patients, mm. what I read, have this rash initially. Most patients with Rocky Mountain have a rash between like the third and fifth day of okay. illness. It's definitely not on the first few days of fever and malaise. Okay. Um, tell me more about the rash, Chase. What Absolutely. does it look like? So the classic description for this rash would be a blanching erythematous rash with macules that become petechial over, over time. Uh, we classically think of that petechial rash uh, but that does, the, the rash tends to change over the course of the illness. It usually begins on the, the ankles and the wrists and spreads to the trunk. Uh, and of course, the quintessential question we all hear is that rash on that palm and sole inside of a possible patient makes us think of RMSF, or Rocky Mountain's body fever. Uh, actually, it's a perfect opportunity to do a bonus bomb. You want to do a bonus bomb? Bonus bomb, for sure. Let's do a bonus bomb. Now it's time for a bonus bomb. All right, so I came up with this mnemonic in med school. It's actually pretty cool um, for rashes that involve the palms and soles, or at least start on the palms and soles. Awesome. And the mnemonic's called rash. Ah, <laughs> convenient. So unfortunately, it's not the most perfect mnemonic, and people give me crap for it, but I think it's actually pretty good. <laughs> so rash, that's the mnemonic for it. R is Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Excellent. The A, unfortunately, is a hard part. It's going to be Kawasaki's. Kawasaki's. All right. Palm and soles. The S is going to be syphilis. And the H is going to be hand, foot, mouth disease. Hand, foot, mouth disease. So that thing is pretty good. So it's not all-encompassing, but especially in your Pete's population or teenage population, 
Hopefully your kids uh, kids aren't getting syphilis randomly. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I realized when I said that, I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. So rash, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Kawasaki's, syphilis, hand, foot, and mouth. At least it gets you started, right? Absolutely. Uh, thinking about causes. All right. Um, but that's exactly right. This rash is going to be classic on the palms and soles. It's classic, going to be blanching erythematous rash with macules, and then it becomes petechial. Uh, why don't you go into the labs a little bit? How helpful are these labs for us? Oh, man. I, as a medical student, I've been told to live by the labs, but uh, <laughs> I think I might struggle here a little bit. There's a lot of different lab findings we'll find in uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, uh, and they will change over the course of the disease, of course. The classic finding would be thrombocytopenia that occurs throughout the course of the disease. Usually, they'll find that in the hospital after admission. Other things we could also find would be hyponatremia, elevations in the serum aminotransferases or bilirubin, azotemia, or prolongation of the PT. PT and PT. The hyponatremia in particular is an interesting point. Yeah, this is, uh, again, full disclosure, knock me on boards. Um, <laughs> but it's truly interesting, and I'm glad Chase is mentioning it, because it's just one of those cool things about why we went into medicine. It's kind of cool. So that hyponatremia we hear about actually results from release of antidiuretic hormone as an appropriate response to hypovolemia and reduced tissue perfusion. Yeah, and you know, reduced tissue perfusion being from this rickettsial illness, which all the symptoms, everything, the rash you know, the syndrome is from the fact that this intracellular bacteria just like feasts on our vascular system. It just goes yeah. in there and just destroys endothelial cells, destroys platelets, and has tissue loss and cell death. So it's a pretty classic all kind of cycle of a pathology sense. And that's just really interesting on a side note that you do not need to know for the boards at all, or clinical practice really. Absolutely. So I, I've talked a lot about these nonspecific lab findings, but uh, Dr. Briggs, I really want to get a definitive diagnosis of RMSF. Surely there's a test I can do, right? So there's not. Uh, it's just like Lyme disease. It is all clinical. Um, in the first few weeks of illness, which is what we see, um, it's going to be clinical diagnosis. And you're going to couple a fact with high-risk features. You're going to couple the fact with the season. And you're going to couple the fact with the rash, hopefully. Rash is big. Um, can you rely on history of insect bites? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So like less than one third of patients remember being bit by some type of right. tick. They may say insect. They have mm -hmm. no idea if it's a tick or not. I wouldn't either. I don't. You know, yeah. I couldn't find one. Yeah. And I think some people live in rural areas. You know, they get bit, bit at night. They don't know if they're bit when they're sleeping. I mean, it's such a crapshoot. So don't ever rely on that. I, I cringe when I hear like interns and med students asking sure. patients like, do you remember being bit by a tick? Yeah. And it's like, I'm pretty sure the patient would have told you when they First came into they the said. ED, like I was bit by this big bug. Like, <laughs> like they always come in, they come in for spider bites. So I feel like an average patient would say like, yeah, I was bit by some insect. I don't know what it is. High risk features is important. You know, if the patient said they got back from a hike somewhere, that's big or camping or outdoors. But again, I don't let that just seal the deal. If they say, no, I'm living in an urban city. I've never been out to the woods. Maybe less likely, but if they have the classic features, I'm treating for Rocky Mountain or Lyme disease. It can still happen. Ticks don't just not come to the city. So, Absolutely. Um, therapy needs to be initiated within like five days of symptoms. Um, most patients need empiric therapy due to the fact that we just said we can't really confirm or disprove the early phase of the illness. So, thankfully, the similarity of Rocky Mountain and Lyme comes with serologic testing. We said this in the Lyme podcast. We encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's called uh, Doxycycline, hashtag blessed. Um, <laughs> in general, the indirect immunofluorescence testing is like this gold standard you know, testing along with serologic testing. It's not going to be helpful at all. There's a high rate of uh, false tests in the first few weeks. Um, and so I would not rely on this. I would not order it. I would go off the clinical symptoms, treat, follow up with PCP if they look well enough. If they have laboratory abnormalities or concerning features, if they have neurologic symptoms, you need to really worry about Rocky Mountain 
um, meningitis. Gotcha. And at that point, you're doing an LP, and that's a whole different discussion. Um, you're still giving doxycycline, but that's a whole different discussion of workup. And they'll be admitted at that point, of course, or if they're profoundly dehydrated, things like that. In general, though, these patients have a good prognosis, and in general, you can send them home, especially adults. They do usually pretty well. Uh, what, Chase, why don't you tell me more about the treatment? I already gave a sneak peek to our favorite antibiotic on this show. <laughs> the, one of the best. Uh, so we're going to be talking about doxycycline, of course. So that's the first-line therapy that's given uh, for Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and its dose is 100 milligrams BID uh, for seven days. Uh, and one interesting fact that the CDC mentions is that if the patient is allergic to doxycycline, it actually makes more sense to try desensitization therapy. Uh, talk about that with your inpatient teams and see if they're a good candidate for So what about pregnant patients, Chase? Oh, so that's where the guidelines kind of split for us. There are two agents, uh, which I guess is good because that means you're not going to be given both answers on any test. You're 100% right. Uh, But the two answers in this case would be to maintain doxycycline and uh, continue doing that therapy. Or the alternative is chloramphenicol, that old nasty antibiotic. Oh, God, that thing. Oh, no. Yeah, and especially in pregnant (laughs) patients, we know that it can cause aplastic anemia, and then the test term would be gray baby syndrome as well. Uh, which can occur especially in later pregnancies. So the conversation you need to have with your patients would be the risks of chloramphenicol versus continuing with the doxycycline. Basically, if you're a pregnant woman, you shouldn't go out to the woods ever. <laughs> Don't get a tick bite. <laughs> Don't get tick bites because your options are limited. <laughs> It's all bad news. <laughs> At least in Lyme disease, you don't have to give doxy. That's true. But we're kind of limited in this case. That's all we got. Um, that's not going to be on your boards. Uh, if they are giving you a treatment option for a pregnant patient, I highly doubt they're going to give you chloramphenicol and doxy both as your answer choices. That is such a difficult decision and is not guideline recommended. Um, that's clearly case by case, Absolutely. depending on the patient and discussion and shared decision making. All right, Chase, uh, let's see if you can keep your job. I want you to give me the differential. This is the, another somewhat bonus. We're going to cue the band again, though. We've already paid them for one show. <laughs> it costs too much money. Uh, I need you to go through the differential of a fever and rash, especially when you're considering Rocky Mountain spotted fever in a pediatric patient. What you got? Oh, I mean, this is just elementary. Obviously. <laughs> easy. <laughs> yeah, easy stuff. So first thing that instantly pops to my mind, you're going to be thinking about all the other rashes that come with fevers. You're going to be thinking measles and common. Patches. Common, common rash. Well, common if you're in like California. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, California. <laughs> Go through the rest of them. That's what you get for going to vaccines.com. <laughs> uh, so measles, infectious mononucleosis, viral hepatitis, uh, things like ehrlichiosis or streptococcal infections, uh, primary HIV, secondary syphilis, parvovirus, fifth disease, going back to medical school, Kawasaki disease, or roseola. Straight from memory, Chase. Oh, that was so incredible. Yeah, I have, I have them all written on the back of my hand, and I read them every night. <laughs> Driving into work, you're like, what am I going to do today? i got a fevers and rash. That's all uh, I know. All right, that's another bomb delivered. Boom. Remember to sign up on our website, amborebombs.com, for future episodes, new content, updates. That again, that is amborebombs.com. It's totally free to sign up. It's actually no cost to you. Chase, how much is it? Uh, zero dollars. Zero dollars and zero cents. Zero cents also. Zero cents. That's also uh, transferring to other currencies, still zero. <laughs> still yeah, zero. Still zero. The benefit is knowing when ep- new episodes are up. Um, we get sneak peeks at stuff if you're a member. Um, you get bonus content such as extra episodes, and they're only available to those who sign up. We really appreciate it. We love the Apple reviews. We've it's gotten helpful. a flood of them. Uh, it's been fantastic. Um, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at emboardbombs as well as for Instagram at emboardbombs. And uh, Chase, tell us more about these online quizzes, man. You are This is what you've been basolutely you've been the main architect for them tell me how it works tell me why we should do it Absolutely. why should you do it 
Absolutely. So uh, as I've been crawling through the wards as a medical student, <laughs> I've been uh, being told all sorts of new information that I just like to share. So I've been writing out these questions uh, that Dr. Briggs is, of course, looking over and we're uh, using the best resources we can. So we're releasing new quizzes uh, coming out here soon. Uh, I was just uh, grinding my way through the coronary care unit. And so we'll have a lot of heart-related pathologies that are super high yield for uh, emergency medicine. Super rare stuff. Hard, thing, hard <laughs> things never happen in the United States. Never, never. Probably happen. less common than Rocky Mountain. <laughs> in general, though, yeah. In general, uh, Chase has done an awesome job with these quizzes. You can find them online. It's the software to them and kind of doing them, the ease of doing them. It's just super low hassle uh, when you do your quiz, and we'll email the results after you do them. Um, the setup to do them is, is just awesome, so we really encourage you paying a visit. Absolutely, and most of the quizzes are based off of information that we have already created study guides about, so if you ever get a question wrong, we already have all the explanations there Perfect. for you. Really, we're just a one-stop shop. One-stop shop. Yeah. Everything's there is that you need. Just Ian Borbaum's brand. <laughs> all right, thanks for listening again. Chase, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. See you later. Bye.